Coming up in this podcast, startups, Metronet, Perth Airport, Vault Power, Creepy Crawly, and our special report on gold miners. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast, uh, and welcome Mark Beyer. So there's been a bit of news this week around uh, startup and private company funding. Can you wrap that up for the listeners? Well, it's good news, and it shows that there's some choices out there for people that have either got a startup or you know, a private business that they're looking to grow and they're looking for new capital. The interesting news, RAC is bankrolling what they're calling a seed fund. So this is something targeted specifically at early stage startups, um, even businesses that don't yet have any revenue. Um, this has often been seen as a, a funding gap in the West Australian market. And so the idea is that you can go along to RAC, they're going to back about 10 different businesses through this fund. So you might get, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars that enables you to then take your business to a, a more advanced stage where you've actually got customers and revenue and then you can pursue another capital raising. Yeah, gotcha. They also disclose that they've actually made their first investment a couple of years ago, but had not publicised it until now. And that was in PowerLedger. I saw that. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? So that's the, the blockchain business yep. that was set up by Gemma Green and Dave Martin and a few other people. Mm. So RAC is actually a substantial shareholder in that business. Yeah, okay. And it was the same thing. They put money into it about two years ago when they were still refining their business model. Subsequent to that, they've been very successful. They've gone out and raised about $35 million. They've got um, activities around the world. Um, This is all around peer-to-peer energy trading. But it was that crucial investment from RAC that Dave Martin told me really made a big difference to their ability to then take on the world, which they're doing now. And did they reveal, because they they set up like an innovations lab or a kind of innovation little division which they actually took out of the RAC building a few years ago and put in it was that the stimulus for this well Terry Agnew who's about to retire as chief executive at RAC he put this in that broader context he said look we're a large established business we see the world around us changing we need to become more innovative, more agile, more switched on to new technologies, different ways of doing things. So he sees all these things uh, as fitting into that broader framework. And the latest example, of course, is they've brought out a driverless car to Perth. They've already been trialling a driverless bus, now got a driverless car. And it's a world first. Hmm. You know, they're really leading the pack here. So a whole bunch of changes that they're implementing at RAC. Yep. Um, so that you know, the world doesn't move past them. And there's a whole bunch of other things too, right? Uh, look, in terms of other areas, there's a, a local group called Tech Board. They track funding around Australia for startups and what they call early stage companies. They found that in Western Australia, companies in that category raised nearly $300 million last year. Gee. So yeah, there is money out there. Now, most of that was through public markets, through the ASX. So, and you know, a prime example was um, a company now called FBR, formerly Fast Brick Robotics. So, you know, a Perth business that's got these uh, basically a, a robot that will lay bricks for a house. Yep. You know, mounted on the back of a truck. Quite extraordinary. Uh, they've now got people like Caterpillar, you know, big global company behind them. Um, that's a it's a Perth startup. 
in the construction space and doing very well. The other thing that's happened during the week, um, there's what's now called equity crowdfunding. So instead of doing a, a listing on the stock market and having to go through the full prospectus disclosure requirements, you can now go out to small investors who can invest up to $5,000 each. Now, this has been open to unlisted public companies for some time. Uh, one WA company has gone down this path, Westwinds Gin, mm. uh, one of the companies on our, on our list of distilleries. Yep. Um, they raised nearly a million dollars earlier this year through, I mean, almost 300 investors. So the average investment there is about $3,200. But this is the whole idea. Instead of having to go to the stock market, do a big capital raising, you can go out to your customers and other people who can each chip in a relatively small amount. The latest step is that that option is now available to proprietary companies. So you can be a privately owned business, you can now go out and raise money from investors. So lots of options out there. Um, It's not just listing on the stock market, lots of different sources of capital, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing, although, you know, in the back of my mind, I think ultimately there'll be some scandal or someone will rip it off or whatever, and, and then there'll be all this angst about it. So I, I will watch with interest as to how, how it works and, and how it, whether it's a bit self-regulating in some way. And I guess that's part of our job, isn't it, to try and highlight the ones that we think have got some merit or not, or, you know, I guess you've got to be cautious as to, you know, we're not investment advisors, but... You know, I guess we can shine the light where we can on those people who are doing stuff. And anyway, interesting. Something for you and your team to follow, Mark. Now, um, the state government is trying to provide some opportunities for smaller contractors within its Metronet rail projects. How successful do you think they'll be? Well, they've got two objectives. Well, they've got multiple objectives, but they want to get local business involved, but they want to minimise the cost. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of tension there. Yeah. This has sort of come to the fore with two of the big projects, the extension of the rail line up to Yanship and the building of a new rail line between Thornley and Coburn. So the government decided that they would actually package those two together and make them one big project worth north of a billion dollars on the premise that this would attract some big international contractors to the local market. They, you know, individually, they might be too small for these big international players to bother, but collectively they're hoping they'll attract more people into the market. Mm. Now, this was seen as this is disappointing for local contractors. Yeah. So the Civil Contractors Federation, amongst others, said, look, we actually want you to break up these big projects so that the, the local people have a chance to bid. So the government's come up with a bit of a compromise. They've carved out the early works on these two rail lines. So there'll be some opportunities there for um, the lo- people like Giorgio or Deckmill to get in there. But interesting as well, uh, Giorgio, for instance, has formed a, an alliance with Clough, big internet, big you know, engineering group owned by Murray and Roberts out of South Africa. Mm-hmm. So people are finding different ways to try and win this work. Um, but, you know, I, I think budget pressures on the state government mean they really need to get a good price, best possible price, for these very large infrastructure projects. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out and just how much work does flow through to the local contracting community. It says a whole lot though, doesn't it? You know, that whole idea that we're going to try and get foreign companies to build rail lines. I mean, I know they're cons- um, commuter rail lines and they're fairly sophisticated, but I'm still a little surprised. 
Yeah, well, I mean, one example, so the Forest Field Airport link, yeah. currently underway. They've got the tunnelling going there. Mm. So big Italian group, Cellini Impregnio, they formed a joint venture with NRW, won that job. So Cellini is a group that had not previously been active in this market. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if other people of that kind um, emerge and bid for these new rail projects. And maybe that was just me thinking that the, the Italian group was brought in because there was a big tunnelling component, which is an unusual thing. Am I wrong in thinking that? Or That does make it a bit different from these other ones, which yeah. are above ground rail lines and are much more straightforward, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, interesting. Well, as I say, follow with interest. Um, now, Mark, Bernard Salt is well known in the demographics business. Uh, some of his research shows airports have been strong jobs growth nodes. Um, so Peter Kermode has analysed what's happened in Perth's case. Yeah, so the, the numbers tell us, this is the, the census data from the Bureau of Statistics, that the Perth Airport precinct has, been a, has become a big jobs hub. So about 9,000 jobs were created in that Perth Airport precinct between 2011 and 2016. And this is off the back of several things. Uh, The airport, of course, was privatised about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Part of the attraction was that there's all the land around the airport itself, which has subsequently been developed for all sorts of industrial uses. Um, There's about uh, 30,000 square metres of office space in the Perth Airport precinct, um, a lot more industrial land around that. There's about 150 businesses out there at the moment. And if you think about it, you know, it's prime location, um, you know, mm. very centrally located, um, so very attractive to a lot of people. Yep. And of course, Jandicott Airport, which is also privatised, you know, the people who bought that have pursued similar opportunities and developed right. a big industrial estate out there. Obviously, there are logistics advantages in being next to an airport. Absolutely, especially now that, as we mentioned, there's the new rail line going mm. into that area. Um, and then the next step that the airport's in the midst of is building a big retail precinct. I mean, who would have thought? So there's a, a DFO, a direct factory outlet, about to open, and then Costco, you know, the big US group, they're about to build one of their big sort of warehouse stores out there. Mm. Um, so it just shows how things can evolve. I mean, you, know, you wouldn't have thought that the big shopping malls would be facing competition from new developments built out at the airport. No, exactly. Yeah. That's the way the market's evolved. And uh, one of the other trends there, I think, is the, the mining companies uh, that are running their their automated uh, and remote operation centres there, right? Uh, That's right. So Rio, Rio, Rio Tinto Roy is Hill. out there and Roy Hill, yeah. both out there. Um, the others, like BHP and Fortescue, operate from their CBD locations. Yeah. But, yeah, so those others are out there as well. And, and lots of engineering, lots of logistics, um, all sorts of businesses out there. No, it's it's interesting, striking. Um, now, um, Mark, we often talk about business risks here, and uh, one of them is having too much reliance on a small number of clients. Uh, a local energy company has learned that lesson this week. So, Volt Power Group, listed on the ASX, used to be called Energy with a J. So they've been working for some years to commercialise uh, some innovative uh, power generation technology that they've got. But like a lot of people in that space, they're looking for some cash flow. So they went out uh, a year or so ago and bought a couple of long-established mining services businesses. 
Um, and the whole idea was they would bring the regular income, the cash flow, which would enable them to invest in the R&D yeah, at the right. same time. So it's just energy suppliers to remote operations, is that right? Um, and equipment, and mining equipment. Right, gotcha. Uh, one of the businesses they bought was Westcone Distribution, um, and they produce equipment particularly for the big iron ore companies, and most notably BHP and Rio. Mm. And they've discovered the downside of this. So about half their revenue came from one client, which was BHP. And BHP have decided that they're no longer going to uh, require the services of Westcone, that they're going to go to other companies to supply the same services. Right. So in one fell swoop, uh, a listed company loses um, its single largest client, which delivers half its revenue. Yep. So it's a it's a classic lesson um, that you know, the kind of thing that has been spoken about many times an example here of how you can get caught out badly. Yeah. And you know you, you feel for them. I mean, Westcone has operated for I think 25 years and has been Rio and BHP have been its two big clients all through that time. Mm. They've since diversified a bit. So people like Fortescue and Roy Hill and others are now um, customers of them. Yep. But gee, they've still got a big exposure or had to BHP and will now have to learn how to deal without it. Yeah, and look, I'm not that familiar with that story, so I guess uh, de- depends how hard you scratch, but I guess maybe another risk there is when you buy a company that has contracts like that, or or, or are they contracts? Because often they're relationships, and you, you're buying the the relationships, but or you're buying the contracts, but actually they, they rely on the relationships that become... I guess one step removed, or maybe a founder leaves. I don't, as I say, I don't know the the case here, but there's there's those risks as well, right? So, when you buy a business that's got contracts and relationships, you need to spend a lot of time and energy making sure those relationships are retained. Um, now, Mark Creepy Crawley uh, is a well-known name to almost anyone, I'd suggest uh, here, um, whether you own a pool or not, um, but. Many people don't know it's WA Origins. Yeah. Now, that came to light, um, well, or came to more prominence during the week because Family Business Australia, they've got their Hall of Fame, um, and there's, in fact, 12 WA family businesses in that Hall of Fame, and two new ones have been inducted, Yeah, one of which is Creepy Crawley. So, Terry Jackson... Um, who in, in one way is even better known as a... He's been a major supporter of the Liberal Party yeah. over many years. He actually established Creepy Crawley in Australia in 1976. Um, the, the underlying technology for these pool cleaning devices originally came out of South Africa. Um, there was someone there who'd been doing some early work on it, not with much success, uh, but Terry Jackson bought the Australian rights for it um, invested in some R&D and got it to a point where it's now very successful. Yeah. The kind of thing that sits in most backyard pools. Yeah. Um, and the, the continuing to run a very successful Western Australian business. They do all the development and manufacturing out of their operations at Osborne Park and now passed on to the second generation. So his son Andrew and his daughter Sarah Davis are both involved in the business. Um, so, you know, a nice story about you know, a Perth business, some, some R&D, and, uh, you know, a world-class product. Yeah, and I think they're an exporter as well, right? So That's they're, they're, right, yeah. 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 
And then the other group that was inducted into the Hall of Fame was JWH Group, so one of the big home builders in WA, established by Julian Walter. Um, he originally set up a business called J Corp in joint venture with the late Len Buckeridge. Um, they had a parting of the ways. Julian went out and set up JWH on its own, and in fact subsequently bought Plunkett Homes, which had been going for something like a hundred years, mm. one of Australia, Western Australia's oldest businesses. Um, once again, Julian is in the process of handing over to the next generation. Um, his son Jay, who was a 40 under 40 winner a couple of years ago, um, and his daughter Alicia Kelly, both involved in the business, um, as is Julian. So another really good success story, and good to celebrate these family businesses that can keep on going for, for quite a long time. Yeah, um, They'll never catch up with the longest running family business, uh, Lionel Sampson Sedliers. Oh, yes. Based down at Frio. Um, set up in uh, you know, in the very early days other, of yes. the WA colony. <laughs> yeah. So um, a great story there. Um, but, you know, Betts, the, uh, the shoe business, um, MG Kalis, um, Galwin Engineering, Lewin Estate, so these are some of the names on that family business hall of fame. Yeah. Um, so some very prominent WA businesses there. And then on our WA dynasties list, I think, too. Absolutely. If you click on BNIQ and look for uh, WA business dynasties, you'll yeah. see them all listed there. Yeah, no, that's a fun list, that one. Um, Mark, now our special report this week is on gold miners. Uh, what has Matt McKenzie found? Taylor Neal. Oh, sorry. So Taylor's taken over that feature ah, this, uh, this time around. Apologies, I didn't realise. And so, yeah, so look, this is our annual review of the industry. And we, like a lot of things, we, we take a Western Australian slant on it. So we look at the production within Western Australia, which I don't think anybody else does. And so last year, about 6.5 million ounces of gold were produced in WA. So that's been sort of going up bit by bit over the last four or five years. Um, been a lot of investment in new mines and probably more so continued development of existing mining yep. operations. Now, to put that in context, that's about two thirds of national output. And that proportion hasn't actually changed very much over the last few years. So the big ones at the top of the list, uh, you know, it's the big global players like Newmont, Goldfields, Anglo Gold Ashanti, they're the big three, or the three largest. In fact, Anglo Gold has just jumped up ahead of Northern Star Resources. So that's the, the big you know, locally owned business. Um, others like Regis Resources, Saracen, St Barbara, West Gold. So we've got all the details there about yep. exactly how much production these people have. I was just going to throw in, a, a, noticing that Northern Star has actually has actually expanded its portfolio, but it's gone to Canada to uh, in its latest move, right? So to Alaska, Alaska, north oh, to Alaska. Sorry, I've, I've gone. I've gone north enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and look, and as I say, all the big companies that sit above them on the list, you know, the Newmonts of the world, they're all global players. They've got geographic diversity, and so it's logical that a business like Northern Star, um, currently all their operations are in Western Australia. They're now taking, you know, they're on the radar of global investors. Mm. So it makes sense uh, for Bill Beeman and his team to look global for opportunities. Um, so the bit of diversification there, yep. but still most of their output here in Western Australia. Looking forward, uh, Taylor's 
gathered the data, and there's about a billion dollars that people are planning to spend. Um, about half of that would be in exploration. So, you know, it's roughly a bit over $500 million per year being spent. Right. And that's actually picked up a lot over the last... It, it fell right away, yep. but it's picked up a lot over the last couple of years. Yep. So back to a healthy level. And in fact, that's about three quarters of all gold exploration in Australia mm, is good. in WA. Good. So that's encouraging for the future. But then there's also another roughly 500 million on development of, of mining projects. Now, part of that will be new mines. Um, so like Gruyere is a big new mine that's close to production. Um, Carla Winder, which Capricorn is due to develop, that's in the offing. But a lot of the investment is what we call brownfields. Yep. So, so the existing Expanding mining operations. Or, yeah, yes. making, making them making them the life longer, that sort of thing. That's right, yeah. So a really good detailed analysis there of what is one of Western Australia's most important industries. Terrific. I look forward to reading it. And thanks, Mark. Uh, our next success and leadership guest doesn't need uh, much of an introduction. Julie Bishop has served as the member for Curtin in the House of Representatives since 1998. She's sworn in as Australia's first female foreign minister on in September 2013 after four years in the role as Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs and Trade. She resigned from this position on August 28. Um, she'll be on stage Friday, October 12. If you're interested in attending, go to businessnews.com.au slash tickets, uh, sorry, slash events, or to find tickets, uh, give us a call on 92882100. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Byer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.